How to Have an Easter Heart is the title of this message this morning. Well, I see that, and I think as sometimes you get older, your own mortality comes into play. And you think because of that, I, I don't really have to die. <laughs> my soul, the person that I am, my personality, who I am, will just pass from this life into the next. I, I, I ponder death every once in a while. I, I do believe that it will be kind of like just walking in the next room. It will be like me going out the front and going over the newsstand to get a diet of vanilla Coke. be something like that. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, that sounds funny sometimes, but, but we do. Steve read my text this morning, and that's okay. Uh, John 20, 1 through 9. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on and read the next few verses. Starting with verse 11, John 20. You can read along. You can read that again if you'd like. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stopped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? And Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned and cried out. Rabboni, that is Hebrew for teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but I, go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. The truth of Christianity rests heavenly, heavily upon the resurrection. If Jesus rose from the grave, who saw him? How trustworthy were the witnesses? And those who claimed to have seen the risen Jesus went on, the Bible tells us, to turn the world upside down. And most of them died for being followers of Christ. And we think about that, that people that wouldn't give their life for something that they didn't believe or they were half-hearted. Chapter 20 of John's Gospel contains the record of Jesus' resurrection, the empty tomb. The four Gospels provide prop provide different accounts of Jesus' resurrection appearances. These appearances occurred over a 40-day period, thus the 40 days from resurrection to uh, Pentecost. Acts 1-3, during the 40 years after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from, his time, from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. I, I like that. It says he proved to them in many ways. Maybe they didn't get it the first time, even though they had told him that they was going... I still don't think they get it. I, I think it is with... Some of us sometimes when the Holy Spirit lays things on our heart, we don't get it the first time. On these occasions, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Here's Jesus' appearances after his resurrection. Mary Magdalene in Mark 16 and John 20. The other women at the tomb, Matthew 28. Peter in Jerusalem, Luke 24. Two travelers on the road, Mark 16, Luke 24. Ten disciples behind closed doors, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. All 11 disciples, including Thomas, John 20. Seven disciples while fishing on the Sea of Galilee, John 21. Eleven disciples on a mountain in Galilee, Matthew 28 and Mark 16. A crowd of 500. And Jesus, the brother, and James, both in 1 Corinthians 15. And those who watch Jesus ascend unto heaven. So Jesus ascends into heaven. And then, then, then the story deepens a little bit. But in 93 A.D., Jewish historian Flavius Josephus writes these words in his Antiquities of the Jews. You have to understand, we, we talk about 
well, you know, Jesus is in the Bible, but what about other books? Well, he's in this book, and this is a secular history book. One thing about Flavius Josephus, the Jews hated him because they thought he was a traitor because he, was, he hung out with the Romans so much. But anyhow, listen to what, what he wrote. Now, keep in mind, this is not coming from a follower of Christ. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. I like that, tribe of Christians. We are not extinct in 2017. We are alive and well, and praise God for that. And we think about, we have heard this story, many of us, maybe since we were children, about the resurrection, about the church's build on that, about Jesus rising from the dead. But the question that begs an answer here this morning, what does that mean for you? What, what, does, what does all of this, this resurrection story, what does it what significance does it have for you? What difference is it making in your life daily? See, that's the point. Church and following Christ shouldn't just make a difference on Sunday. Right. It should be every day of the week. Right. And this is, this is, is what, what motivates us and pulls us along. Have you ever been accused of being full of something? Once a day for me. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what that is. <laughs> You have to figure that out for yourself. Easter is all about a four-letter word. You know, we, we, man, we don't want kids to say four-letter words. And Christians are full of it, or at least we're supposed to be full of it. The four-letter word is life. It, it goes along with the message that Pastor Jeff so eloquently preached last Sunday. He, he challenged us to be full of life, to live. And he kept saying that, making the point dramatic, to live, to live, to live. That's what, that's what we're supposed to be about is to live. What kind of life? New life, whole life, abundant life, redeemed life, and resurrected life. The purpose of life is not death. Easter says the purpose of life is life, a life that triumphs over death itself. It's the best thing celebrating Easter the church can do because it's a celebration of all that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful. In fact, I would make this case this morning that celebrating Easter is the greatest public service the church can offer or perform in the world. Why? Because it is the reality of Easter that makes everything we do possible. Everything. Everything we do centers around this one event, this one day that Jesus rose from the dead. Remember Jesus' final words on the cross. is finished. When the soldiers taking Jesus' body down from the cross stabbed him with a spear point, John 19.34 reads, blood and water came out. That rush of flood revealed what was the actual final cause of death for Jesus, a burst aorta. Jesus died of a broken heart. The breaking of Jesus' heart was what finished Jesus' sacrifice. So on Easter morning, the great surprise was that Jesus' broken heart, there emerged a new heart, a resurrected heart, an unbreakable heart, an unstoppable heart. And out of the last Adam's split side, a new Eve was conceived, the bride of Christ, the church, which is us, whose life revolves around what? Water baptism and the blood of communion. So that make, it, it kind of all fits together to me. On Easter, it is finished, becomes now it begins. 
Life begins anew with the resurrected rhythm of the Easter heart. It is an Easter heart that Jesus offers, a resurrected heart that Jesus offers those who believe in him and all who read the signs and the wonders and the symbols of the new life that had been left at the empty tomb, a heart that he offers anyone that wants to accept it, actually. The beloved disciple looked in at the abandoned grave, and he saw that grave clothes laying there flat instead of with a human in them, and believed that Jesus had risen. At that instant, his Easter heart started beating. It was a new heart because it finally cemented the fact of him hanging out with Jesus and seeing miracles and doing all these things. And I think at that one moment where time intersected that John finally got it, and he, he got a new heart. Mary Magdalene heard her name called with her beloved teacher's own voice, and she saw and believed that the risen Lord stood before her. It was at that moment that Mary's Easter heart started to beat. And when Jesus walked and talked with, along the Emmaus Road with two of his disciples, Jesus was practicing heart massage. He was working on them. His disciples later recalled in Luke 24, 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? I hope in your spiritual walk you've had experiences like that. That the Holy Spirit has come in such a powerful way that, that you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was God himself speaking to you. And that's what happened with these guys. And they, I don't think they recognized him at first as well. But only after Jesus blessed and broke the bread did those disciples suddenly see and believe it was the final jolt that jump-started their Easter hearts. It was like those paddles that they put on and turned the juice on and makes them jump, bringing that heart back to life. So what I asked this morning, is this church full with people who have Easter hearts? Do you have an Easter heart? Here's the question that we posed to you this morning, and here, here's six ways to tell if you've got an Easter heart or not. Number one, an Easter heart is full of new life. It's full of new mission. An Easter heart is full of new possibilities. An Easter church that is filled with Easter hearts continues to offer signs of life to the world and to the community. There's always something going on. They're, they're always reaching out and doing something to somebody around the world to bless and to serve. That's why we're called. Number two, an Easter heart church throws off the old grave clothes. Have we shred our shrouds? Death shrouds separate the dead from the living. You know, we come in, I do believe sometimes when we come into the kingdom, we're wrapped up in death shrouds because if we die in that shroud, if we die without Christ, we're doomed. So they, in a sense, you could see it as, as death shrouds. They wrap sinking, stinking corpse in fine linen and sweet spices, but they cannot stop the inner decay. It continues. So instead of wrapping ourselves in costly, starchy grave clothes, a church full of Easter hearts wears blue jeans. That's why I had these on this morning. I like them. They're really good. But anyhow, that's that. An Easter heart church is a blue jeans church. It lives its faith every day, working day clothes, clothes that are tough and sturdy and made to get dirty. In fact, jeans get softer and better, don't they, every time you wash them? And then they start to get frayed, and then they become in style. I thought about getting some scissors and cutting holes in these, but I didn't know how that would play, play, you know. But anyhow, and you can buy jeans wore out. Imagine paying 50 bucks for a pair of jeans that's only going to last like a week. They've been washed a hundred times, stone washed, whatever they call it. It's just, it's just wild to me. But I'm telling you, when you get jeans, it starts to fade, and there, there's not much better, actually. The only thing I could think of is even closer scrubs, but then people want you to give them shots and stuff if you got them. 
Anyhow, that's kind of amazing that you can buy wore-out clothes. I know my grandma, she'd been busy patching everybody's britches. Third reason you can tell, third way that you got an Easter heart, an Easter heart church is full of rock rollers. Notice I didn't say rock and rollers. I said rock rollers. The first sign of the resurrection, as noted by a distraught Mary, was that the rock was rolled away from the tomb. Everybody, even Jesus, resurrected body needs to be offered a way out. Rock rollers offer ways out to all sorts of people trapped in all kinds of tombs. Strengthened by an Easter heart, we can. We can roll away despair, reveal a path to hope. We can offer peace a place to find confusion and find direction in a confusing world. I'll tell you something else we can roll away. It's delusions. Delusions like, if I was rich, I'd be happy. Delusions like, all I need is one more drink or a smoke or one more hit. Delusions like, the next promotion will get me everything I want. And that list goes on and on and on. How many deluded people there are in the world that's bought into the world's philosophy and it's messing them up. Well, Christ offers a way out of that. We can roll away fear and entice tomb dwellers to step out into the light. Rock rolling isn't a one-person job. It takes a community of Easter hearts to get those rocks rolling in the right direction. Number four, fourth way you can tell if you've got an Easter heart. An Easter heart is always in a state of arrhythmia, always experience adrenaline surges because that's the Holy Spirit when he, when he pumps that into us, always skipping beaks and always erasing pulse. An Easter heart is a, a rhythmic heart because in an Easter heart church, the unexpected is always happening. Resurrection happens, miracles happens, truth happens, goodness happens, beauty happens, Jesus happens. I don't think maybe it's, you know, you, maybe it's my fault in a sense. We don't celebrate the celebrations maybe as much as we should. A couple, three weeks ago, we were talking about a little girl that some of you knew, maybe went to school with Kara Gentry. She's, her name's now McIntyre, and uh, she was diagnosed with cancer, and she, they couldn't do anything. She had this baby, and the baby's okay, and she went back in uh, last week or the week before, and sh she wanted us to pray for her, and we did. And they went back in and took out 37 lymph nodes, and they were all clear. See, that's a miracle to me. That's a God thing. How can you explain that? And that's what, that's what I'm talking about. And then Dennis Miles and Tracy's daughter, Jenna's going to have a baby, and she sent me this picture, or Dennis did. That's the baby in the womb, and that little girl's smiling at her daddy because he's down at her belly talking to her, singing to her. Isn't that the coolest thing you've ever seen? That's a miracle. That's new life. And you, I will fight anybody on the death on, about the whole concept of abortion because there are babies like that being murdered in this world every day. And here's this baby grinning at her daddy. That, so that, that's, uh, that's new life. Thomas doubted all the stories. He was the biggest doubter of them all. Even though there was eyewitnesses, you know what, man? We have seen Jesus. We have touched him. We've spoken with him. He still, he still didn't believe it. I wonder if it's like that when we witness sometimes that People, they don't, it doesn't click. But then something happens in their life or some tragedy and chaos, call it what you will, and the light finally comes on and they, they finally get it. Well, with Thomas, he wanted Jesus front and center. He wanted to stick his fingers in his, the holes in his hands and through his feet and poke his finger in his side. So Jesus showed up to be poked and prodded. And what did Thomas do? He could only say this. My Lord and my God. 
He was speechless. He was overwhelmed, if you will. If you have an Easter heart, you learn to expect the unexpected because there's, there's certain things that we, don't, we can't grasp, but God goes ahead and does them anyhow. You never know, you never know where he's going to ask you to go or what he's going to ask you to do. That's just part of the deal. I think that's the excitement to me. We relish the ridiculous and we savor the sensational and we pray audacious and bodacious prayers and we expect God to answer them. Number five, an Easter heart church is filled with laughter. The resurrection is a testimony to the adage, he who laughs last, laughs best. The Sanhedrin, which was made up the Sadducees and the Pharisees, thought that they'd have the last lap. They had finally got this guy whacked, the guy that was causing them trouble, the guy that was stealing their thunder, their, their light, because people was looking to Jesus as a religious leader instead of them. So they thought they had the last lap. Roman authorities thought they had the last laugh. Cruel crowds and sadistic soldiers thought they had the last laugh. Satan thought he had the last laugh. If there's, there's a picture, there's two or three scenes. That first one we saw was from uh, Gibson's The Passion, but there's another one at the end when Jesus rises from the dead. It shows Satan out in the wilderness on his knees. He's just screaming, going crazy because he thought he'd won, and he didn't, and we know that. But the resurrection proved God has the last laugh. Those who thought they had triumphed over Jesus were soundly trumped by his triumph over death itself. So proving this point of laughter is the custom that exists among no less than the stern, solemn Germanic churches. Down to the Reformation and even later, there was at Easter called the Easter laughter. A German pastor would intentionally insert jokes into the Easter sermon, and the church they feel should ring with laughter on Easter Sunday, enjoying fully the divine sense of humor. You don't think God's got a sense of humor. Look who's sitting next to you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a burglar breaks in a house. He starts shining his light, looking around for valuables. Some nice things catch his eye, and he reaches for them, and he hears this voice out of the darkness. Jesus is watching you. Startled, the burglar looks for the speaker seeing no one, he keeps putting things in his bag. Again, he says, he hears, Jesus is watching you. This time he sees this big parrot. Who are you, the burglar asked. Moses, the bird replied. Who the heck would name a bird Moses, the man laughed. I don't know, Moses answered. I guess the same kind of people that would name a Rottweiler Jesus. Sick him, Jesus. <laughs> that is one of my favorite jokes. I like, I like that one, so... Another story came to me. Squirrels had overrun three churches in a town. After much prayer, the elders of the first church determined that the animals were predestined to be there. Who were they to interfere with God's will, they reasoned. Soon the squirrels multiplied greatly. The elders of the second church decided they would, could not harm any of the, God's creatures, humanly trapped the squirrels, and set them free outside of town. Three days later, the squirrels were back bringing friends. It was only the third church that succeeded in keeping the pests away. The elders baptized the squirrels and registered them as members of the church, and now they only seen them on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> no offense. It's just a joke. <laughs> it's just a joke. It's supposed to be funny. In all honesty, I give you guys, I give a lot of people a hard time. I really am glad to see you. And I say that because we, we're family, and... Every Sunday, it's kind of like a family reunion in a sense. You know, you know, there's always Uncle Bob's and Aunt Martha's and everybody like that here to hug you and kiss on you. 
But the fact is, we are the body of Christ, and when you're not here, the body of Christ has people missing. I can't reiterate the fact enough is how much we need each other. We might not, you might not see that now, but we really, really do. And as our lives unfold, I am not a doomsdayer or a pessimist. But I know that in every family here, there's going to be things coming up that you're going to need the body of Christ to surround you, to hold you up, to love you, to pray for you. So, and that's why I say that. So <laughs> I do miss you when you're not here. And uh, I had a pastor friend one time add to that. He said, even though you're not here, keep those cards and letters coming. Oh. Finally, this is the last one, sixth way. And this is the most important sign of an Easter Heart Church of all, probably. An Easter Heart will be a broken heart. The things that breaks God's heart should break ours. Injustice, prejudice, starving people, abused people, neglected and abused children, refugees, human trafficking, rejection of Christ, seething hatred of his church and unbelief and sin. And the list goes on and on and on. I love this image of a heart rising out of a broken heart. It's like a dawning sun, a whole new heart. See the breaking away and the new heart emerging. This is probably the best icon of the gospel I've ever seen. The promise of Easter Sunday is not that your heart won't break. In fact, the promise of Easter Sunday is that if you love, your heart will break. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's heart was broken. If you have a child, you know what it's like to have a broken heart, or you will. You can't imagine God's thoughts and when Jesus went through what he did. Some of you have had sick children. You know what that's like. And you feel as a parent so helpless that you can't do anything for them, that they're in pain and you can't take that from them. In this sense, Jesus, God's son, can take that from us. But if we love, our heart will break. The cross is a symbol of God's broken heart, and a broken heart is the price of love, and we know that. But Easter... It's not the symbol of a heart that will never break. It is the symbol of this, that out of a broken heart, God births a new heart, a whole heart, a beet-red heart, a blood-rich heart, a spiritual healthy heart. And that's, he wants us to be in good health spiritually. So is your heart breaking this Sunday? Does Crossroads' heart ever break? Is it breaking this Easter? If so, I hope that our hearts are breaking for the same things that break God's heart. The Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart. Jesus was a man with a heart that beats for the least, the last, and the lost. Do you have a heart after God's own heart? Does your heart beat for the lowest and the least? And are you functioning from a broken heart? Or do you function in your everyday activities with a stone-cold heart? that nothing moves you, that you've built these walls that you're not going to be hurt again. 
You're, you're not going to go into that realm where you have to be vulnerable and love people because when you go there, pretty much there's a pretty good chance you're probably going to get hurt. But that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to be alive and, and open to those around us. I want to close this Easter morning with the earliest extant record of prayer in the Jewish Christian tradition. It's this priestly benediction found in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. Here it is in its original form. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Here it is in a little altered form today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and, let, and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. And I would add, and may God give you a beat-skipping, blue jeans, laughing, rock-rolling, broken heart. And I pray that this describes your heart here this morning, that you have an Easter heart. And it's my biggest prayer this morning that you know Christ, that, that he dwells in your heart, that he gives you guidance and direction, that he holds you close, and that he loves you. And if you don't know him, I invite you at this point, you can invite him in. Jesus invites you to come unto him for a heart transplant, actually. That's what happened to, happen to all of us, actually. God takes that old stony heart out, and he, he puts that new one in. Or perhaps you're a follower of Christ, and we get spiritual blockages sometimes. We need a Jesus stent put in to increase the blood of the Christ flow, Christ blood in, into our hearts this morning. And maybe, maybe that's you here this morning. Would you stand with me and pray? Lord, I pray for each person here today. First of all, Lord, I pray they know you, that they're your kid, and they know that. But if not, Lord, at this... Uh, crossroads of time and space as we pause in this moment if they don't know you Lord and they want to Holy Spirit that they can just reach out and, and find you to confess and ask you in their hearts and Father if they're here they want people to show them how that this place up front this altar is always open there's people here that love them and would desire nothing more to, to pray with them and show them the way and if there's somebody here that's got a terrible burden they want to bring up here and have people pray for them have, feel free to do that as well, Lord. So right now, Father, I just pray for this time. I pray more than anything else that we're honest with you. And as you deal with each heart, Holy Spirit, that we just might let go and, and let you. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.